You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly podcast that shines the light on the world's biggest energy source. Solar Insiders is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy, and Sophie Voroth, the editor of One Step Off the Grid. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. And Nextracker, delivering the most advanced solar tracking technology and the highest performing solar assets in the country. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and the EV-focused sister site, The Driven. And joining me is um, One Step Off the Editor, One Step Off the Grid Editor, Sophie Vorath. How are you, Sophie? I can't even get your name right. <laughs> I'm very well, thanks, Giles. I, I do feel like I'm one step off at the moment. <laughs> well, I think the whole world feels like it's a bit one step off, off, off the grid in some way. And um, yes, anyway, um, um, yes. Look, um, a fair bit of solar news um, around the place. Um, and um, because we've got unseasonally warm weather, we seem to be diving into the... Um, to the rooftop solar season where it takes a bigger bite out of the lunch of the uh, big coal-fired generators and that's yes. kind of interesting too um because of all the discussions about sort of when coal-fired generators are going to be closing and the reason why they won't want to close early is because they can't make any money from rooftop solar and the reason why governments want to keep them running um, longer is because we aren't building enough renewables um to fill the gap so a bit of a quandary but the one mob that are building enough is rooftop solar, of course, the households who are doing rooftop solar and adding in lots of other little things. And we've got a really interesting interview this week with a um, quite a prominent sort of energy expert or someone in the industry who's yeah. um, will tell us what he's been doing. Well, his name's Andrew Wilson, and he he um, we've spoken to him before before a couple of times. Um, for stories on one step off the grid because he used to work at the University of Queensland and he was really in charge of some of the really interesting things they were doing there to cut their huge energy bill, which was huge. I think, I think he said 25 million or something. Um, he helped them with the Warwick Solar Farm and they had a one megawatt hour Tesla battery, which I think at the time was the biggest in Queensland. Yes, it was. You know, it was. No, I, yeah. I remember that. Yes. Yes. It was quite exciting and, um, you know, cutting edge and he did this big report on how it performed and all this and it was, yeah, it was really interesting. And he's um, a self-confessed early adopter nerd and for that reason he also has a lot of kit at his home. So obviously not a one megawatt hour battery, just a standard power wall and 6.6 .6 kilowatts of solar. But he he's just... Um, he for the last he said this for four years he got it all at once and he's been really monitoring how it's going you know technologically um financially and you know how it copes with with outages um which it has done um quite seamlessly and yeah it's, it's really interesting to talk to him about his experience and in the last so we did we had a story from him two years ago doing the sort of how i've gone for the last two years and then this is the four-year update and we have an ev in the mix so ah, it's it's even more well there you go we have a, a, a hyundai ionic well, 5 hyundai ionic 5 oh lucky man very nice cars um okay well mm -hmm. look let's have a listen to um andrew wilson um formerly of the university of queensland now with the state-owned cs energy uh, and in charge of a whole bunch of things um large-scale solar and battery storage i'd imagine and um this is your conversation with him Andrew Wilson, welcome to Solar Insiders. Thanks, Sophie. Great to be here. 
And you're speaking to us from a beach holiday, so very big thank you this time. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful to uh, to get away for a week in amongst the um, you know the craziness that is the energy transition, but it also means that's the um, spare moment you have to work on little pet projects like this one, I guess. Little pet projects, which is like a deep, deep data dive. <laughs> to, you know, I think that this sort of pet project would take me the whole entire week, but you've you've turned it out. And what we're talking about here is. Um, Andrew, um, well, we, we checked in with Andrew last two years ago because he's got a solar, uh, rooftop solar and battery system at his home in Brisbane. And he is, um, he has been sort of keeping very close tabs on how that's going financially, technically. Um, and he's done another update um, just this week, which we've, we've been, been lucky enough to publish on One Step Off The Grid, but we're also lucky enough to speak to the man himself. And what is especially interesting this time around is he's added an EV to the mix, a Hyundai Ionic 5, is mm -hmm. that right? That's right, yep. Yep. So what we might do, Andrew, to start with is just chat about you because you've got a really interesting background um, working at the University of Queensland and, and currently you're with CS Energy, is that correct? The That's government? right, yep. 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 But um, in the past, you've done plenty of stuff with batteries a bit bigger than what you've got at home. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been in the energy sector for about 15 years now um, doing doing various things. I, I spent some time in South Africa working on large energy efficiency projects in, in mining and the industrial sectors. And um, I spent about five and a half years heading up energy and sustainability at the University of Queensland, which is um, I, I wasn't teaching about those topics. I was responsible for the sort of day-to-day -day operational aspects of the university's energy usage. And at the time, they were spending about $25 million a year on electricity. Um, so if you combine that wow. with the fact the fact that they were a um, you know quite a progressive organisation, there's a lot of stakeholder uh, pressure as you could expect um, mm -hmm. to, to do something about climate change and the energy transition. Um, that was my job for five and a half years, and uh, we did a whole range of things from um, microgrids on the Great Barrier Reef through to um, behind the meter battery installations through to um, the sort of crowning jewel, which was the Warwick Solar Farm that I spent a few years as the the project director of that. And that's, I suppose, yep. in that role where my, my interest in, in battery technology started. We did a, a one megawatt, two megawatt hour um, Tesla power pack project um, back in oh, 2019, maybe, um, at the time. And it was the largest battery in Queensland that was operational at the time, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, which seems kind of crazy, crazy now. It does, but, but you were at the cutting edge. Yeah, and it was it was very exciting and learned a lot about that. My, myself and a fantastic colleague, Dominic Haynes, um, wrote some, some trading software for that battery. So we got to play around with, with trading that, that battery and learning a lot about what the assets can do in, um, in the market and all the different ways you can uh, leverage value from them. Um, but that's uh, but that was that was a little while ago now. So I, I've spent uh, I spent two and a half years then uh, at KPMG as a director in the energy infrastructure team, um, sort of working oh, yeah. with with um, public and private clients across all elements of the energy transition, um, predominantly around energy asset development and energy procurement in particular. Um, and then very recently, as of sort of five or six weeks ago, I've, I've joined the team at CS Energy, um, and I'm part of the future energy development team. So myself and the team are responsible for leading the development of new publicly owned renewable and firming assets to mm -hmm. basically transform CS Energy's uh, current portfolio into into the sort of meeting the new needs of the future energy grid. So it's a very That's, exciting role and I've certainly been very busy five or six weeks so far. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a big job because CS Energy is probably better known for its coal fleet. It's, it, it's a Kogan Creek 
power station that yeah that's right that, that's one of the that's yeah. one of the assets cs has and, mm. and um just speaking of sort of my, my history with batteries and what's relevant here is, is when i was at kpmg and and i uh, worked with the cs team, team a lot in one of the projects that cs is building at the moment is the um the chinchilla battery which is, is yep. located uh nearby to the code and creek power station so um speaking of sort of scale i did the did the um the saint lucia battery which was one megawatt in, in 2019 and then with the cs team uh, I, I sort of 18 months ago did the chinchilla battery, which is 100 megawatts. So it was a hundredfold increase between projects, which is pretty <laughs> extraordinary to think about. It is extraordinary, yeah. And it would have seemed, um, you know, one megawatt would have seemed huge then. And, and this is, and now 100 megawatts is sort of almost small, like the yeah. smaller yeah. end of the yeah. scale of these exactly huge right. batteries that people exactly are on. Exactly right. Yeah. 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 But my favourite small... my, my favorite battery is still my home, my home, yeah. uh, my home battery. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. You're to have favourites, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly are. Have you got a name for it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just probably the, taking the, the it too far. The Tesla Powerwall, I think, is what it goes by. <laughs> and so... It's now four years since you bought mm. that. And yeah. that's what we're sort of the main thing we're going to talk about today. Um, and you talk about in your in your article um, that you initially published on LinkedIn that you bought the battery and the solar system all at once. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So we moved into our, um, into our Queensland uh, in uh, April 2019. Uh, and it was literally one of the first things uh, we did because that's, uh, you know, where the priorities are, of course, like mm. forget about, you know, painting and other, <laughs> other sort of tweaks and renovations you want to do. First thing you want to do is slap solar on the roof and, and put a battery in. Yep. Um, so it was, it was done in uh, August 2019. It was, it was commissioned. Um, and the timing was actually partly driven by the fact that at the time there was a Queensland government program on that was uh, allowing households to have a $3,000 grant and the $10,000 interest-free loan if they installed yeah. solar and, and battery systems. So uh, we were lucky enough to be one of the households to benefit from that. And um, yeah. there, was a, there was a bit of extra time pressure, but it would have been something um, that I looked to do straight away because as, as you sort of can tell by now, it's obviously an area of, of great personal interest and professional yeah. interest. It's a great help having that. That's the same thing we have here in Victoria, different amounts slightly. But in particular, I think they've found the interest-free loan is, is really helpful. Like just yeah. to be able to know you can you can have that. It's, you know, you're paying it off, but it's not becoming more of a burden over time. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, with where interest rates are today, uh, you know that's mm. that's even more the case. So getting getting ten thousand dollars over ten years is you know is, is a fantastic assistance for such a capital intensive investment like this. Absolutely, but you so you you mentioned that that's one of the first um, important economies that you you uh, the economic decisions that you made is because um, lumping it all together it means you're able to mm. do this kind of finance. It means that you're able to to match them up per properly at the start. And, um, you know, that's sort of something you, I noticed you mentioned you wouldn't recommend necessarily at the moment for people to add, add a battery later. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a really interesting one. If you split the, the cost, um, our system cost about $21,000 in total. So $3,000 of that um, was, was paid for with the grant. So that brings it down to yep. about 18000 and that leaves uh, roughly it was about twelve thousand for the battery and about six thousand for the solar. So the battery is the battery is sort of two thirds of the cost that um, that was remaining. Um, and a lot of the benefit that we're able to to get uh, is is through that production of your own electricity and not having to import it from the grid, obviously. Yeah. So um, so that's where a, you know, a huge amount of benefit comes from. Um, the battery really, um, when you put it all together, puts a very compelling proposition because you're able to store what you would otherwise export and, and avoid importing at night time. Um, 
But if you've already got a solar system and you're staring down that sort of twelve or thirteen thousand dollar capital investment today um, yeah. by itself, you know that is a it is a long payback for this mm. for that piece of equipment on its own, as opposed to the package when you blend it together. Yeah. Um, I sort of say in the article, and, and I say that the vast majority of people have asked me the very best battery that you could put in your house is likely to be your hot water system. Mm. Um, spend a couple of hundred dollars and put a put a timer on it and run it between ten and two. Um, and you'll probably get, you know, half the benefit you would by putting a battery in anyway. Um, Because that's, you know, I think, I suppose the message there is not to say that batteries are bad technology. Far from it, I think they're incredible. But there are are plenty of practical, very cost-efficient steps you can take before you start moving up the ladder of, you know, the the more extremes of self-sufficiency and other things that the sort of early adopters like me are are playing around with. Absolutely. And... I mean, happily, that's starting to, there's much more attention going to that now to what are your energy efficient options? What can you use with your solar to maximize it? And um, hot, heat pump hot water systems is, is one of mm. those things becoming yep. a lot more popular. You have a, a, an electric hot water system. Is it a heat pump? No, it's just a regular hot water system. And I actually, um, I replaced it recently. And this is an interesting decision and dilemma at the time was to go to heat pump or stick with electric element. And I actually decided to stick with electric element um, for a few reasons. Um, the, the main one being that um, it's actually really beneficial when you want to use it like a type of battery. The ability to just inject um, a lot of power into heating your hot water over a short period of the day um, is really beneficial. So I find uh, with our system, uh, it's less than two hours. You can run it at full power for less than two hours and it, it de- deals with the day's um, hot water needs sort of summer or winter. Um, okay. So that, that benefit of being able to sort of say, all right, I'm right in the middle of the day. I have a huge amount of solar coming off the roof right now. Let's just run the system hard and fast for a short period of time and get the tank topped up and filled up um, was, was, was a decision to sort of keep that. Um, but that's not necessarily the case for everyone. You know, even you know, even in a Bris- even in, in winter in somewhere like Brisbane, you're able to have the solar to do that. In, in other parts of Australia, that wouldn't be the case in winter. So something like a heat pump would make a lot more sense. But somewhere like Brisbane, where we quite reliably get a couple of hours of quite strong um, sunlight, being able to very quickly inject that into your system while you have that sunlight available, um, I find is quite beneficial. Absolutely. So with your battery and your solar, you've got a solar edge inverter and you've also got um, some solar edge technology that you use to control the hot water. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So uh, at the time, we really wanted to go that the sort of roll gold solution. Um, so as well as as well as the the battery and the PV system, uh, bought a solar edge. I think it's called the immersion hot water controller. So it's right. basically a, a smart home device mm-hmm. um, that does allow you to divert surplus solar. So uh, anything that you would otherwise send to the grid to use that to charge your hot water system. Mm-hmm. Um, I found in practice that that's probably a little bit too smart for its own good when you're also trying to use a battery in the same way. Um, the, oh. base, the, 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 the two confuse one another. Uh, the, the Tesla Powerwall system doesn't talk to the, um, okay. the solar system in any way. There's no communication between them. Um, so what, what you can find, they end up fighting each other and it ends in a bit of confusion. So if there was anything I, I wouldn't do again, it would be that, I would okay. say. Um, that, so, so the way that that ends up being used now is more of a smart timer where I can sort of, I can just manually tell it to turn on at certain times. And, and you can also change the level of power output. I mentioned before, you might like to, you know, smash it and charge it up in a, you know, or heat it up in a couple of hours. Yep. You could, you could dial that back and, and heat it 
up more slowly over five or six if you wanted to with this smart controller. But in the grand scheme of things, for, for the cost that added, which was about seven or eight hundred dollars by memory, a uh, hundred and fifty dollar timer in the control in the meter box probably would have done the same thing as the way I'm using right. it now. So I think that was a lesson learned that you can perhaps try and be too clever with all of these systems, I see. particularly yep. when they don't they don't necessarily talk to one another mm. uh, in the case of using a, a Tesla battery and a solar edge, you know, PV system. Okay, that's very interesting to know. And while hot water, as you say, can act as a, as a great battery, um, the Tesla Powerwall has a lot of um, tricks it can do that hot water can't do, such as keep, it you, does, keep yeah. you running in an outage. You had quite a, a significant outage in the first two years of your system. Um, yeah, the that's right. That- so the Powerwall is um, one of the few home batteries I'm aware of. I have to admit I haven't looked in, in a little while that's able to do whole-of-house backup as mm. opposed to only a couple of circuits. Um, and I've obviously played around with this. You go to your meter box and you, and you flick the switch and you pretend yeah. you're having a blackout and you see if it kicks in or not, and that's all very exciting and you can show your friends. Um, <laughs> but there's only, there's only been a couple of times it's sort of actually had to be used. The first yeah. was um, was during the, the uh, incident in, in Queensland in May 2021, it must have been, when the, um, the, the Calide C incident caused the the sort That's of right. um, yep. the system system oh, not quite system black but the large scale blackouts that are under frequency load shedding that happened in Queensland. Yep. Um, so it was about an hour that half lost power for then. I wasn't actually home at the time, so oh, um, I didn't see it. <laughs> I didn't see it firsthand. I got the alert on my phone, and that's actually how I knew there was something wrong because where I was at the time for some reason hadn't lost power. It was oh. my first indication that something had happened in the power grid was that um, was that alert. Um, and and so that was that was very exciting, but I wasn't home to see it. Um, this this year uh, in January, Energex were doing some work to replace the sort of um, rotten out old wooden power poles along the street. Right. Uh, and there was a there was a planned outage um, for they set up to eight hours. I think it ended up being about six hours. Oh uh, wow. That took place, which which I was um, I was working from home during. Okay. Um, and so that was this was the first big real test of the system, and it was it was very exciting. Um, so they they sure enough they rolled up at eight o'clock. They turned the mains power off. Uh, and, the, and the battery took over um, seamlessly. You know, it is very impressive how it works. It's not so much as a flicker of the light. You don't get or, the, know, the reset of the oven <laughs> darkness clock. and no. then everything back on again. No, you sort of, you hear it. If you, um, my office is right near the, the, the meter box, you can hear a, cl- a click. It must be a breaker engaging. Yep. Um, but aside from the click you hear from the meter box and then the alert that comes up on your phone, it's otherwise seamless, which is incredibly impressive. That's fantastic. Um, what was... What was exciting about this particular outage, though, so I see it's exciting like a true nerd here, <laughs> um, about this particular outage was that uh, it was in the middle of the day. It was a sunny, beautiful um, summer's day. Mm. Um, so not only was the battery supplying power to the house while I was working away, um, the solar system was continuing to charge the battery. So it could have run for many, many, many hours yeah. uh, with a high load for air conditioning and you know, computers and things on at home. Um, but what happened was that... Um, it reached a point in the day where the, the battery actually got full, even with the, the load the house was using, um, the battery filled up and it was, it was full of charge. And what happened is the solar system then shut itself down, right. which in hindsight makes complete sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you can't export the surplus to the grid and your battery is full, there's nowhere for the electrons yep. to go. Yeah, exactly. And so I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that as being a thing that needs to happen before I, I sort of witnessed it. And then, um, sure enough, uh, you know, a few hours later, um, the battery drained itself down ten or fifteen percent, and the solar system restarted itself and started um, replenishing the the, um, the battery system again. And that all happened again seamlessly. And particularly impressive that, as I said before, the Tesla system and the solar system don't talk to one another. So the fact that 
um, the, the fact that that was able to orchestrate itself through, I imagine, they played nicely. Um, the, fre- the frequency, yeah, the frequency <laughs> or something else was causing that. Um, I'm, I'm just a pretend engineer um, to know exactly yeah. how that worked. But um, yeah, that, that played nicely. And then, yeah, sure enough, six hours later, and the checks were finished, restored the mains power. And, and again, you hear, you hear the click in the meter box, but otherwise um, a seamless transition. So um, yeah, very a very cool feature, and one of those things you really hope not to have to use in reality. You hear about you know some of the natural disasters in the US and other places mm. where you can be without power for several days or a week or whatever it may be. But it sort of gives me confidence that provided you had sun to replenish that battery during the day, you could run for a prolonged period of time potentially off um, off grid with a system like Absolutely, this. Absolutely, and uh, I, which is really cool. I think that even as you were saying when the solar is still generating, it's particularly important because I think a lot of solar systems, if there isn't a, a battery, um, they won't actually run when they're islanded. No, so even, no, they'll even shut if down. you've got yep. sun there. So that's a frustrating thing for a lot of solar owners who think that they're going to be fine if there's a blackout, but then they can't actually access their own power because um, everything sort of shuts down along with it. So it's a, it's a yep, really absolutely. important part of it, um, having having that access to your own power. Speaking of which, you've you've achieved some pretty good levels of solar self consumption um, over the four years, um, getting to levels of I forget what you said up in the seventy percent kind of mark was it in in the in the first two years uh, it was very exciting uh, year one I think it was about ninety two percent yeah 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 um, year year two was uh, about ninety percent. Uh, and year three dropped away really sharply to seventy percent, and then the most recent year was uh, was about sixty seven percent. So it's the first couple of years were were really good, um, and then then it's fallen away. Um, the main reason for that's the EV that came towards the end of year three. Um, year three also had some issues with the solar system having some some technical issues. The inverter was out of action for about nearly a month, and and some other niggles as, as well. Um, but that, that drove it down. So, you know, the first couple of years, it looked like these high levels of self-sufficiency were possible. And then perhaps it's fair to say the sort of the real world took over and, you know, as, as your demand changes and, and the reality of the fact that this isn't a hundred percent reliable equipment, um, and, and it would be unrealistic to expect it to be, um, you know, sort of brings that down to, to more realistic numbers, um, but yeah, I mean, certainly very happy to be to be self sufficient at sort of you know seventy percent ish or so over the over the time. Yeah, and if you're not, um, you know, you're not using as much of your solar at home, um, you're at least using it in the car, and that's a, you know the the newest part of your your latest update is that you've got this car, and you did mm. mention some really interesting sounding software that called uh, Charge HQ, uh, which I would love to chat to you about because we have been talking on on the Driven website, Renew Economy's electric vehicle website, about how you know what is smart charging and is it actually available in Australia yet? And mm. and it's mm. it's a bit iffy, you know, like you can get software solutions, but to be able to buy a charger you know, and put it in, you know, install it and then have it basically run things in an intelligent way for you is not, we're not quite there yet. Um, but I'd love to hear your experience. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to be invited to be part of the beta program for, for the Charge HQ software solution um, of, of a while ago, not like probably the same time I got the EV in sort of June last year. Um, it'd be well worth um, you know having the, the developers of that software on to talk about it a little bit more because okay. I think it's personally brilliant. Who, who are behind being, that? 
I couldn't tell you to be honest. Aside from being part of the beta and using the software, I, I, I don't um, have really anything to do uh, to do with it. But um, I think it's a brilliant solution because it does two things. If you've got a Tesla car, um, which we don't, we have an Ionic Five Hyundai. Yeah. Um, a Tesla car it enables you to charge, control the timing and the rate of charging. Um, from the car itself. So it uses the cloud connection with your car to say, so the the, char- the car tells the charger start or stop charging or charger, you know, this many amps or that many amps. Um, so you can you can use any charger. You could use a plug in your wall to do that mm. if you wanted to. You don't need a smart charger of any kind. It's, it's relying on the car. Um, to control the charging, um, okay. and, and then and then if you can if you can tell the ch- the car to start and stop charging and how much you want to charge at, you can then link those decisions to things like what is the price of electricity in the NEM, what is the renewables penetration in the NEM, what is my home solar system doing? So you can start feeding it all these inputs and then making decisions about what you tell the car to do. Um, so that's the fundamental premise behind the the software. Um, the second way you can, can do that is with a with a compatible smart inverter, so uh, which is I think it's called the OPCC standard, which is the sort of protocol for um, communications with inverters. So I was really conscious that when we bought an inverter, we have a, a Warbox Pulsar Plus, that it was a, a inverter that was compatible with this um, sort of uh, cloud communication standard. And um, provided you buy a, a charger that has that compatibility, you're able to um, send it those exact same commands just over the internet. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting sort of two and a half hours away from my house in Brisbane and um, I, could, I could tell the charger to start charging, although I had the car with me, so it wouldn't make a lot of sense. But yeah. uh, I, could, I could do that, you know, anywhere in the world remotely over the internet. And, and again, it can just take those inputs about what's happening at your house and, and make decisions about what it tells the charger to do. Yep. And... Economy-wise, you know, switching from a petrol car to an electric car, you've saved a lot, haven't you? Yeah, it's about um, – so really interested to do the maths on this. Uh, so it's uh, saved about um, $2,100 um, compared to running a, a Subaru XV, which is the, the sort of previous car. So by no means a sort of extravagant gas guzzler or anything like that. Um, so, you know, in fact, it's a bit smaller than the Ionic 5 in terms of, you know, its size and cargo capacity and things. So um, – and that was based on just the kilometres that were done in the EV and the, the rate that you know, the average price of petrol last year. So um, it doesn't justify the price of upgrading to an Ionic 5. It was never designed to. Um, but, it you know, it's also not a like-for-like vehicle. It's a, it's, you know, it's a far different vehicle in many other ways. And I think the exciting thing is there's obviously a lot of better value EVs coming onto the market now. Uh, and if you were somebody who was driving twenty or 25,000 kilometres a year, um, that starts to become a different story as well in terms of those cost savings. How do you find, um, you know, issues of range and that kind of thing? Have you had any, run into any issues where you, you sort of felt like you've been compromised compared to if you had a p- petrol vehicle? No, look, I've, I've loved every minute of it. I've done some some really um, big, big road trips. Um, uh, you know, the range on it, it's one of these rare instances where it sort of under-promises and over-delivers, um, which has been really great. Um, I've done a couple of trips to places with very little charging infrastructure as well. And, and I find provided, you know, you can throw an extension lead out the window of where you're staying and, you know, char- char- charge while you're sleeping there. It usually gets you through most most situations, you know. Um, so I have, have really enjoyed it. Would would never even think about going going back now. Um, I still we, we have two cars, but I still drive the um, the, the the XV sometimes, and it's just an entirely different world when you hop into the two. It is, Feels like isn't it? Step backwards. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Um, now, 
in your article this time around, you talk about the lessons that you've learned over the past four years, but you also talk about the insights that's given you into how we might run um, mm. the future grid with, you know, so many little power stations, these yeah. batteries that are pretty big in on wheels in people's driveways, um, smart inverters, smart controls. Um, what's been the thing that's really struck you the most and what, you know, does it, have you felt really, um, you know, have you felt positive? Have you felt concerned that there's a lot more work to do? How do you feel about the future with DER? Yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an inherently optimistic person. So I think I'm very, um, very yeah, excited to, to, you know, to have had this early adopter journey and see what's possible and to be able to sort of share, share this with everyone. I, I really enjoy doing that. I think a couple of things have struck me though. The, the, the first, probably the biggest thing this year that really struck me is that we now have a battery. Um, we have a deliberate strategy to charge hot water in the middle of the day, a deliberate strategy to run dishwashers and washing machines and other things in the middle of the day. And we have an EV. So we have all of these loads that are being controlled uh, and we and we still exported just under 20% of our solar generation. So that was, let's call it, um, for want of a better word, wasted. Um, it, um, and that's not because we had too much solar generation. In fact, as I said, we were only just under 70% self-sufficient for the year. So, so I think what really rammed home to me is getting those final parts of self-sufficiency are really hard. Um, being able to, to utilize your self-generation, you know, all of that self-generation and use that most cost effectively is really hard. You know, you, you really need the grid there to be able to sell that surplus too, right? Um, and then the flip side of that is that you need the grid there to be able to top you up when you don't have your own self-generation available. And I think the way that this really plays out is that there's a graph in the article I did that looks at this for, say, EV charging is the seasonal difference is astronomical. Um, and, and, you know, it's like that in Brisbane, let alone in other places like somewhere like Melbourne, for example, uh, where it would be even stronger, you know, in 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 summer, you know, we've got, you know, 150% of what we need to charge the EV available as surplus solar generation in, in winter it's like one or two percent and the driving habits don't change drastically between summer and winter right like if you look at like what we actually drove in summer versus winter they're very similar to each other um but the reality is by the time you heat the hot water system by the time you fill your battery for use at night uh and you know dishwashers and all those other household uses there's actually just no solar left over to be able to charge the car but then the flip side of that is in summer um you've actually got too much so you know this this highlights the these these challenges of load shifting energy, not just you know within a, within a day or within a week, but just across seasons, um, is is inherently challenging. Mm. And what's that? What that'll mean for the grid? Um, you know that's going to switch around because traditionally the real peak times have been in summer, haven't they? And it sounds like it might move now into winter when people aren't generating enough of their own solar. They need more for yeah. filling up their yeah, cars. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've. Yeah, I, I, I don't follow as closely as I used to, but, um, you know, certainly, you know, we've seen that in, in spot markets and other things is that the most volatility is not necessarily happening now in the traditional sort of January or February, March period, but is, is happening perhaps in winter uh, in terms of high pricing. Uh, and then, you know, in terms of volatility, as in the absolute difference between, you know, really low pricing and high pricing in those shoulder seasons. And, um, you know, we see that. We see that there, like I mentioned, we exported forty percent. Uh, sorry, twenty percent of solar PV still across the year. Um, in November, November it was forty percent. Um, in July it was zero percent. So that that really? just goes to show that seasonal difference um, 
of of what's um and you know the underlying usage hasn't really changed in that period if anything it's probably more and more in november when you're running with a bear con yeah and as you say you're a what do you what do you call yourself oh, a nerd <laughs> early adopting nerd yeah yeah um, so, so watch this stuff and, and try to and manage so, it pretty closely right yeah. yeah 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 so how long do you think it'll be before your average person you know they don't become necessarily a nerd but how long do you think before most of the houses on the street are going to have you know have most of their houses electric most of their appliances mm. hooked up to solar potentially a battery yeah smart smart thermal management yeah what what's what do you think how far off are we from that kind of scenario so i think one of the takeaways for me uh is that um if you take the battery aside for a second you know putting the timer on your hot water system and if you own an ev uh, if that's something that you, you're able to and you want to do hooking that up to something like a charge h2q style system or some other thing where you divert your salt surplus solar into the ev you you'll go a long way right and that doesn't necessarily require additional investment you know those are very cheap solutions um so i think i think that as a as a you know society like that's the sort of those quick wins is what we should be heading towards and focusing on on ensuring how you get those final little bits is the more challenging thing and where this potentially comes in a role for things like dynamic export control or community batteries or these things that go beyond you know the border of my fence and my neighbor's fence and and are handled not necessarily at the transmission system level but a little bit more locally um, community level yeah it's, it's potentially the, the question um but i think the answer is that we're all figuring it out as we go right like i don't think anyone yeah. on heart say they know exactly what der is going to look like in five or ten years time because um, it's just evolving so fast it is and this is why it's great to have people like you going to <laughs> who love to do it and putting <laughs> this down so that we can all read and go oh, that's so interesting um yeah and I think uh, I strongly recommend everyone, if you haven't already, to go and have a read of Andrew's latest um, report from his on his home system. Um, it's really interesting. It's uh, there's a lot of things to take away, and yeah, I think it's a really like like you say, Andrew. It's not uh, saying go ahead and get all of these things, but here's what you can do. Here's some of the things you can do, and. You're achieving it with quite, I mean, not a small solar system, but 6.6 .6 kilowatts. Is that what you're at? Yeah, that's, a, that's also the standard. Comparatively now, yeah. it's, yeah. 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 yeah, it used to be this sort of um, average, and they're saying now it's more like 8 to 10 mm. that people are installing. So I think it is. It's um, it's really remarkable, the value and the, you know, the, the, the self-sufficiency you can achieve um, by starting small and building up. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a whole other podcast mm -hmm. about what that means for the right electricity plan and the way that interacts with your yeah. retailers and things. So I do, I do obviously touch on that on the article. But um, one thing I was just yeah. going to add to is that I think that was one of the learnings as well is that the battery, whilst, you know, directly it might not save any, uh, you know, to pr provide huge amounts of savings, what it does is give you that flexibility to do things like, say, um, have something like an amber electric plan where exposed to the spot market or a, a really, um, a really uh, um, aggressive time of use plan. Like, for example, I have a plan where we get eight cents per kilowatt hour charging for the EV. Um, the flip side of that is that the peak hours cost you 40 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, 
and and one of the things with with something like a battery that enables you to do is to be able to confidently sign up to a plan like that because you know that you're very unlikely to need to use those 40 cent per kilowatt hour peak times because your battery will cover you so you're able to sort of access the benefit of the cheap half of the plan without having to pay for the expensive half yeah. so and the worst case scenario is you might have to yeah tap into your battery and use something that you yeah. Yeah. So I think um AGL's offering eight cents has just come out to offer eight cents overnight, yeah. like from midnight to six or something like that. Yeah, that, that's very. Is that around the, about the time? Yeah, it's since midnight yeah. to four a.m., which 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 I, I have find makes me deeply uncomfortable that it doesn't align with solar hours. <laughs> but uh, there's a whole other conversation about that. But no, well that's it. So that's I I wondered that myself. It's it's a real um, you know, it's a solution. It's a classic. Uh, Gentile retailers, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, oh, here, use the power at night. We'll make it really cheap. Um, but yeah, and it doesn't align with the daytime solar. But for a lot of people, that might work. It might be that people aren't home during the day, so you know, yeah. you have to sort of take that into account too, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's, I mean, that's the other frontier, right? Is is you know, I'm responding to this as a as a self confessed, you know, early adopter. Um, but we need, we do need the signals from retailers and others to encourage yeah. people to act in this way. And and I think that there's a lot of positive progress from when I started this like four years ago. Um, there was no such thing as like a virtual power plant then, right? Whereas now there's a multitude of options you could opt into yeah. if you wish to, uh, and sort of you know more time of use tariffs and things like that. But it still you know requires a PhD and electricity tariff you know, studies to, yeah. to understand half the time. So I do think that as an industry, we have a long way to go to really clearly incentivize the behaviors that we need and want as a system. Absolutely. And it's at the moment, it's very piecemeal and it's a bit, you know, yeah. it can be a bit mixed messages. Like, you know, you get one one retailer saying this and another saying that. It's, it can be very confusing. And, and yeah, if you're not an energy nerd, extremely confusing. But yeah, absolutely, yeah. Again, people like you make it easier. So I do thank you very much, especially for giving us precious time from your um, time off. And yeah, um, it's a great read. And I think what you're doing is fantastic. And thank goodness for early adopting nerds. (laughs) Thanks so much, Sophie. Looking forward to talking (laughs) about year five with you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I look forward to hearing too more about um, how you go with the EV and whether that how the charging stuff evolves too because that's also new absolutely okay thank you so much andrew thanks sophie australia's most anticipated clean energy event all energy australia returns to the melbourne convention and exhibition center october 25 and 26. this event is a must for industry suppliers and experts and those involved in the renewable energy and energy storage sectors Featuring over 350 suppliers and attracting more than 10,000 industry professionals, you can't miss this free event. Register now for All Energy Australia 2023, October 25 and 26, Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. And that was um, Andrew Wilson from CS Energy um, talking to Sophie about his experience with um, household solar batteries and um, high-ondi ionic though if you actually sort of need both you need a household battery and a car that's actually got vehicle to load i don't know it's always a big question for me it is and it's i mean when you hear what he says it's affected um it's changed things a lot for them but he did talk about a really interesting um car uh charging app called um hq app have you heard of that before giles it's like a software only solution for smart EV charging, which I thought we should look into on the Driven. 
Look, I mean, look, there's various smart charging apps which sort of, you know, will, will time things accordingly. Um, there's the Zappies and the Tesla app allows you to sort of, you know, set things um, to certain times or, you know, link in with your rooftop solar system. Um, so you only charge the car when you've got excess solar, which is which mm. is pretty good because you don't, when you're charging at home, you don't have to have the full blast um you can no. just um you can just sort of triple charge um when it's sunny um i mean there's even new apps that come out now which can tell you if you don't have rooftop solar and just charging from the grid um how renewable the grid is at that time so if it's very windy then it's going to be quite renewable if it's dark and not windy then it's not going to be very renewable at all so um there's a whole yeah. range of different apps around there so it's uh, it's actually quite interesting we should probably do as you suggest a bit of a roundup of all the different possibilities yeah. yes because this is a software only. I think you were saying the Zappy, you get a bit of hardware um, as well, which you have to pay for, whereas this is a subscription software only. Um, yes. I don't okay. know. It'd be very interesting to have a have a roundup of, of what's out there. Yeah. No, no, we'll put that on the um, growing to-do list. Um, yes. Now, look, what else is happening out there in the solar world? Um, some people aren't behaving themselves properly. Yes, we've had another another conviction um, of a person who said that they were supervising um, a solar, I think, thirteen solar installations uh, when they were in fact overseas. So that makes it very hard to uh, oversee what your workers are doing and to sign off on something when you're the um, Clean Energy Council uh, accredited person, which this person was at the time, not no longer. No longer. Um, yes, so this is um, apparently it predates the changes that they made, um, which now require installers to, you know, geolocate themselves um, at the time by taking selfies, as we've as we said before. Um, so, you know, a bit hard to do that when you're overseas. So, but so this, how did he do? Was he taking selfies of himself in Athens or on Ibiza or something like that? <laughs> no. Um, well, I think the... the, the um, Offences were before that that rule came oh. in, so the the um, clean energy regulator was saying that uh, this person's actually got off a little bit lightly because it wasn't um, as tough under the old rules. But if he had have been charged under the new rules, it would have been a bit of a, a different story. Um, as it happens, he's uh, I think he pled guilty and. Has a good behaviour bond, I think, mm -hmm. two years. Did he come back? Did he come back to the country to plead guilty, or did he, did he stay overseas? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> he didn't mention that, but uh, he's definitely uh, not Clean Energy Council accredited anymore. And if you look, check out One Step Off the Green, you can see mm -hmm. the name of the company. And um, yeah, can, and, but yes, I think the, they were on. To and the name it. of the person who probably uses mirrors or something like that to sort of reflect his. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, Startlingly, I mean, not common. Obviously, there's so many solar installations that go on, and and this happens every now and then. But you know, to think that people think they can do that, and it's just a big concern for consumers if their installation is going up and there's no one actually sort of qualified, properly qualified, signing off on it. Um, that's a, a concern. Yeah, exactly. But it, the measures that are in place now, and I think by and large, our industry is pretty good and pretty well regulated. Well, it's good, and it's good that we sort of pick out these um, characters um, that um, are not playing by the rules. Now, what else do we have in terms of um, solar news this week? Well, in Victoria, we've had an, yet another little change, little tweak to the solar homes rebate, where they've um, increased the 
income threshold for people who want to apply for the um, solar rooftop solar rebate and as well as the um, zero interest loan. Uh, they've increased it by like 30,000 um, per household, which is significant really. Um, so it's gone from, I think, um, I think I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's a, a 30,000 increase, um, which just means, I think it was 180 and now it's 210. Yes. Well, that should cover yeah. most families or many families anyway. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think really that um as it said in the article this is really part of a push that they just they just really want to encourage anyone who's sort of on the fringes and thinking oh i'd love to but i don't quite fit in or you know just to get get going get do it especially now that they've got um yeah they've they've indicated that um they're going to start moving away from gas for houses and going all electric. well absolutely yes and that um, the whole electrification process is um is quite important and of course um do check out um switched on um a new subsite on renew economy and associated with it one step off the grid too just sort of focusing on electrification and there's some uh, great podcasts too on the uh, on the switched on podcast um to catch up with that um, Sophie, um, I'm not really too sure that there's much else to sort of talk about this week. I think we've um, a couple of look great interview with Andrew Wilson. So thanks for doing that. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And um, thanks, of course, to our sponsors. Um, thanks also to our listeners out there. Do check out our other podcast. The Driven Podcast is uh, is back. Um, Electric Ferries this time. Um, we've got um, some great interviews about new storage technology on um, the Energy Insiders podcast. And as mentioned, we've also got some great interviews on the Switched On podcast, including a Republican mayor from uh, California who's... Um, uh, using the old local government rules to sort of ensure that electrification and uh, clean energy happens in his town. So um, he's quite a character. I actually met him about a decade ago. Um, <laughs> and um, he's still going. Wonderful. Um, it is wonderful. And it's really interesting to see that's happening in Australia a little bit too, that, that local governments are starting to realise they've got a little bit of uh, power to work with to get people off gas too. Well, absolutely. We, in fact, we did actually see that this week um, with an exclusive story talking about sort of a whole bunch of different councils doing exactly that. And then the Sydney City Council confirmed um, a story that you wrote this week too, um, that they're going to try and stop new gas connections. So pretty interesting stuff. Uh, of course, the gas companies yep. um not very happy about it. But, Loving um, it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Loving yes, it. Sharing their appreciation. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Well, look, that's it for this week for, um, for the Solar Insiders podcast. Thanks very much for that interview. And we'll be back again in a fortnight's time. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solar design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly costs, and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Nextracker, delivering some of the highest-performing solar assets in the country. Like a sunflower follows the sun, Nextracker's market-leading solar solutions deliver optimal return on investment for utility solar farms in Australia. Check out their flagship NX Horizon Smart Solar Tracker, their intelligent optimization software, and the industry's most advanced terrain-following solar tracking technology, NX Horizon XTR.